I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you this morning. The Transfiguration is really a remarkable story. It's a fascinating account of how Peter, who would become Saint Peter, was grappling with what it meant to follow Jesus. Jesus, Peter, John, and James all go up to the mountaintop to pray. Incredibly, they encounter Moses and Elijah, who've been dead for centuries, for decades. And they hear the voice of God telling them that Jesus is the chosen son. Listen to him. So what does Peter say? Well, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three dwellings, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, Peter and his friends are fishermen. They live in a small town. They fish for a living. They didn't grow up as theologians. I'm sure Peter wants to stay on the mountaintop. This is really a great new real estate place, you know? You can almost see all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. After we build these dwellings, we should live here too on the mountaintop. Now, he doesn't say that exactly, but I think that's probably the way he felt, and it's an important lesson that's lost on Peter. He likes the mountaintop. He doesn't want to go back down. Fishing doesn't seem as good as living on a mountaintop, especially with Moses, Elijah, Jesus, and God. What else could you ask for? How did Peter become the rock who successfully managed the creation of the Christian ministry? How did he become the first bishop of Rome? He's an interesting person. He's sometimes rash, irritable, angry, and a slow learner. At one point during Jesus' trial, he denied following Jesus, something he really regretted later. How did he become the first bishop of Rome? By going down from the mountain, down to work in the trenches, to become a fisher of men and women. All of us can learn a lesson. I remember when I was a newcomer in Washington. I was a news reporter at in D.C. covering the Nixon administration. I'd rented a small apartment in a neighborhood that was near the TV station, but it was close to a bad neighborhood, a bad D.C. neighborhood with lots of crime. I remember doing a story about Spiro Agnew, who was Nixon's vice president and the former governor of Maryland. And I remember coming to Annapolis for the first time to interview people who had been working with, 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 with Agnew. This was before Agnew was forced to resign rather than to be prosecuted for taking bribes. I vividly remember walking down Main Street, uh, walking on the east side toward the waterfront, past an alley, and looking up to the left. And there, you know, these, there are all these little alleys, and there's the state capitol up there. It's a beautiful town. And I'm thinking, wow, I want to live here. That was my mountaintop experience, okay? There weren't any of these gods and things like that. But it was one of those things that I said, I'm going to move here. And so I did. I didn't hear this, the voice of God, of course. To hell with living in D.C. with all the crimes. It's only 33 miles to D.C. from here. <laughs> I didn't know about rush hour. 
<laughs> now, the reason I'm telling this story is the mountaintop is rarely the place for real work, for the work Jesus is planning for me or for Peter or for you or for anybody. An amazing thing happened just two days ago, and I want to share it with you. This is Friday in D.C. at a Catholic high school, and Bishop Sutton is there, okay, for the final meeting of this year's Sutton Scholars Program. It's a terrific program. The young scholars, the high school kids in the program, were celebrating the end of their work this summer, including work at the Bishop Claggett Center. Most of these kids are black, and the program is designed to help them become leaders, to be learners, to overcome racial problems. As one of them said at the ceremony, to stop waiting for change, but to be change. Wow. One of the speakers was an incredible man who does a lot of prison ministry. His name is Damian Cooper, and he helps inmates who are going to be released to get adjusted to return to society. Ninety-something percent of people who are in prison right now will be released. Will they emerge as better people than when they went in? That's a great question. There's not an easy answer to it. One of the, one of the, uh, the speaker, Damian Cooper, told the story, Damien told the story of how he had become a volunteer in prison ministry. He lived in a poor neighborhood with a lot of crime in Baltimore. He's a black man, and as a youth, he was very religious. He was an altar boy. When he went to college, he lost his faith. It happened after he was walking home from a bus stop to his family's house in Baltimore, and he was jumped by a man with a gun. He told the story of how the man shot him. The man fired the pistol at point-blank range. Damon Cooper was hit one inch above his heart. The bullet ricocheted and cracked his sternum, broke three ribs, punctured his lung, and lodged under the ner nerves of his right arm. I'm going to quote him now. I lost 20 pounds in four days from the loss of muscle mass. I just got angrier by day. I lost my faith. I lost my scholarship. I felt like I, everything had been taken away from me because of a bullet, and I didn't know why. I demanded that God tell me why he let someone shoot me. I became the person that no one recognized. I was argumentative. I was ticked off at the world. I always wanted to fight. And then I decided I didn't, couldn't take the pain anymore. This is Damien Cooper telling us this. And he said, on December 31st, 1996, I decided to kill myself. Friends came. Friends came to the doorbell when they heard he was so anxious and begged, begged him to go to church with them. Cooper says, Damien Cooper says, they took me to a Baptist church about two blocks away from where I was shot. The pastor recited from the book of Psalms, for his anger endures but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That was when Damien decided he was going to live. He decided not to take his own life, thank God, and to give to forgive. He decided to forgive the man who shot him. He didn't know who that was, but he said, I'll forgive him. 
I'll forgive him now. I don't want to carry this baggage of hate. Damon finished college. He went to a seminary. He studied theology. He met a chaplain who did work in Baltimore prisons. He volunteered to help inmates prepare for life outside of prison. Prison ministry is mostly a listening ministry. You really don't try to cross-examine people. You don't ask them curiosity questions. You let them talk, and you just show that you care for them by being there listening. Okay? In the program that I did, the Cairo's Prison Ministry, we do not ask inmates what they did wrong. We don't ask them what they were convicted about. We don't ask them how long their sentence is. We try not to convert them. That sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit does the converting. We're there to participate in a, in a dialogue with them. Now, Damon Cooper was part of a different prison ministry program, but he knew not to ask curiosity questions. One of the inmates that he was visiting told him about several crimes that this man had committed. On the fourth crime that he talked about, Damien realized he was listening to the man who shot him. Wow. Damon said, quote, I listened to him. I sat there with my mouth open and listened to his vivid retelling of how he shot me. And then I told him that you shot me. Damon said the, Damien said the man turned beet red and everyone in the room was dumbfounded. Damien got up and unbuttoned his shirt to show him the hole in my chest where it's still there. It was the hardest thing I ever did in my life. But I told him, I forgive you. I forgave the man who could have taken me away from me, my children, my wife, everything. What he did to me back then was a stupid and horrible thing. He was just a kid who got mixed up with the wrong things. Now, the man who shot Damien is now out of prison. He finished college. He has two kids. He's active in men's ministry. We talk every Saturday, Damien told me. I want to help young people who are going through the same kinds of things that the guy who shot me was going through. Wow. I have repeated Damien's story because it is the sort of episode that happens when one stops looking to and longing for the mountaintop. We are needed right here. You can walk a few blocks from this church and you'll be in a, an area of poor people. This is not someone else's problem. We are needed here. For those of us who are following Jesus, we must help those in need. There are neighbors. St. Peter found, the heart, found out that, heart, that, that way was a hard lesson for him. Now, I and my wife, who's here today, visited the prison in Rome where St. Peter and St. Paul were both incarcerated while they were waiting to be executed by the Romans. The prison is Mamertine. It is the worst prison I have ever seen, and I've been in 11 prisons in my life as a volunteer. It was the worst, absolutely horrible. Mamertine, as it's spelled, Mamertine, in Italian it's Mamertino, 
was described by an ancient historian as, quote, as disgusting and vile by reason of filth, darkness, and stench. This is the opposite of the mountaintop. While he was awaiting execution, this is how St. Peter found out the hard way. As he was awaiting execution, St. Peter counseled and baptized many of the other inmates who were awaiting their own execution. There are many ways that we can serve. There are many ways that we can serve. Let me suggest some of the ways that we can serve right now. You can work at the lighthouse shelter, volunteer there. My wife does that. The Cairo's Prison Ministry is ready for you. Chip Tucker can tell you more about that. There's the Stevens Ministry, which helps people. There's help with refugees. A, 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 we're working with uh, people at uh, Calgary United Methodist Church and with uh, First, Bap First Presbyterian. That's still going going. We, we didn't get the refugees that we thought we might get from, uh, from abroad, but we may get some from Ukraine. And then there's financial support. Now, St. Anne's needs your contributions. You've probably heard enough of that from, the, from up here, so I'm not going to go through that. But I will tell you, this church does good works. When I came to Annapolis, I was lost. And now I'm found. Thank you, St. Anne's. And thank you, John Price, who was the rector at the time. So you should help St. Anne's. You can, do this, you can give money to the Sutton Scholars Program that I was describing. Boy, it's really helping these kids. There's the Bishop Dahl Scholarship Program at the Ecumenical Institute. All these are good places to give money. There's a Franciscan Center in downtown Baltimore. You can give money for the orphanage in Thailand for abandoned children to keep them out of the sex trade and save them from that horrible fate. And then, of course, there's Damian Cooper's charity. I know all this. If you want to see me later, I can give you addresses on how to contact them. In other words, we're not in the mountaintop. We've got to get back into the trenches. We've got to help people. We have to do God's will. Thank you, Lord God, for helping us to help those in need of loving care.